Yeah, so real quick, way back in 2019 is when I first started listening to the podcast when it was brand new. And it was during those first five episodes, I want to say that Heather and I were sitting down and talking about, should we take this massive risk? Should we lean in? And I personally was struggling a lot with uh, fear, uh, especially fear of failing uh, spectacularly so publicly. And to be honest, this podcast was one of those driving forces that really made me rethink what failure meant and to to get out there, take initiative and to live aggressively and to pursue this. So so really from the bottom of my heart, thank you for that push to getting over that fear and getting out the door to give this a try. And I know that there are countless others who have been impacted by your guys' work. Welcome to the aggressive life. Travel can be one of the most fulfilling, aggressive moves that you make. But if you've ever set foot outside your front door, you know that things go wrong and quickly. And then you add your kids on top of that and all bets are off. Uh, So Derek, today's going to be, I think today's going to cause people to be very jealous, actually. That's what I I think. I think that's going to happen 100%. Are Are you jealous already? I am. You are? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. part of one of the reasons why I want to talk to these people. I'm like, how do you do this so I can do it? That that would not be good. No, we don't. We do not. We do not want you to travel the world. It sounds Derek, amazing. Derek, you're the straw that you're, that stirs the drink. If you can start traveling around the world, then that's true. Um, yeah. you know, I'm up Greek. That's Can't true. happen. So, yeah, we got Bradley and Heather Jobson. Crap, did I say their name wrong? Brady. Yeah, it's Brady and Heather Jobson, sorry. <laughs> well, why didn't you say that? I called you Bradley I thought, early on. I thought on. you were joking. You, you know, you yeah. give people nicknames. We didn't know. <laughs> I do, I do, do nickname. Maybe it could hey, be Bradley. Dirt, yeah. look at the top here. It says Bradley. Look at this. Would you, would, you like uh, to, would you like to look right where it's right where it's circled? Oh, you see that? Bragging on me to sending me out. Spelling error. All right. No, 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 no. Well, you know what? I will answer to just about anything. Anyone who works close to me knows that until you have a nickname, I don't like you. So from now on, you're going to be Bradley and then uh, <laughs> Heather Feather. How's the weather? We'll go with that one. So, Sounds good. <laughs> so uh, Bradley and Heather, the Feather, have been all over the map. Two years ago, they quit their jobs. They sold 95% of their possessions in order to travel the world as a family. Why would a seemingly normal family from small town Ohio make such an aggressive move? That's who we want to talk about today. They've got a YouTube channel under the name Raising Voyagers. They got 9 million views and rising. And after years of traveling, they just perched a 200-year-old stone house with no electricity, no plumbing, at the foot of the freaking Italian Alps. What is wrong with you people? Get a life. Like, just come back and slave like the rest of us do. Oh, I'm going to travel the world and have fun. Oh, I'm going to go to the Italian Alps. Stop it. You're making the rest of us feel like losers. So today, we're going to talk about the importance of travel, facing setbacks, how it's not an adventure until something goes wrong, and maybe how you might want to take a page from them. Welcome to the Aggressive Life, Bradley and Heather the Feather Jobson. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. It is uh, it's definitely an honor to be on the podcast. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning. First of all, I have to admit, okay, I've, I've been in the same job for 27 years. I'm, I'm probably beyond 
the average person who's listening to Aggressive Life, I, I find that very few people have the same job for 27 years. Uh, I don't know if this is normal for others or not, but for me, there definitely have been seasons of wanderlust where I thought, man, I need to just figure out how to take my motorcycle around the world. I watched a series Long Way Round. It was amazing. So many people watched that and went, oh, man, I need to ride a motorcycle around the world. I, I get sucked into overlanding, which I overland right now. And I, and I find that there's various times in my life where I go, man, am I missing something? Am I, am I missing a script that I could write for my life. Is that how you guys felt or what got you into this? It, it kind of goes back a long ways. I would say um, our first date ever, very quickly, the, the conversation of travel came up and uh, and wanting to kind of pursue that and surround what our life looked like surrounding that. Um, but I think that usually in this conversation, we try to get something right out of the way. And that's travel for us. A lot of people think of vacation. Travel is very different from vacation. It is first and foremost a about pursuing discomfort almost and getting out of your comfort zone to be able to learn something fresh and new. So what would be an example of getting outside of your comfort zone versus taking vacation? I know you got bunches and bunches of them, but what's just one off the top of your head? Yeah, so the the most memorable trips for us are not the ones where we're just kind of sitting on the, the beach uh, having a glass of wine. We try to avoid that type of travel. For us, travel looks like a, a two-month road trip around Turkey, getting into the far southeastern regions, all the way up to border towns of, of Syria, and, and really learning something new, diving into a different culture, and kind of combating uh, certain things, certain uh, presumptions that you might have had about a culture and and really coming face to face with the reality to learn to learn something new. Yeah, and I think when you're putting yourself in a situation where you don't speak the language, you don't understand the customs of the culture, it's very different than going to a resort and lounging on the beach, like what Brady was saying. So it's what we like to do is we like to experience different cultures around the world and see how different people live life and and get inspired to to find our own path essentially of how we want to raise our kids and and live our lives. But you're not seeing anybody in your travels do what you're doing. You're living a life that nobody else lives. Nobody you're going to visit in Turkey or wherever, nobody else lives this way. So what are you learning that's going to actually apply to your way of life, which is you very unique? So actually, uh, just to push back on that a little bit, we, we have met quite a lot of people doing exactly what we're doing. Uh, we started off by doing more uh, simple travel, as we'll call it, uh, maybe just going to Mexico or something like that. And it was actually in Mexico where I met uh, a young man who was explaining to me that he took six months off of work and had saved up approximately $8,000 and was able to travel about 40 countries over six months with $8,000. And he introduced to me this concept of slow travel and the benefits that he had experienced by meeting so many people around the world and learning new things. And it was that conversation that kind of set us down this path of how can we rearrange our finances? How can we prioritize this? How can we kind of crack this system 
and and learn travel hacking, which is a is a whole subset of of a conversation, um, in order to because we neither one of us come from unique jobs where we made a lot of money. We we certainly sacrificed for this to make it work. And it was a long road to get to the point that we decided to go ahead and sell everything and, and really pursue this full time. Uh, but it, it just started with one trip a year, and then we figured out how to do two, and then three, and then it slowly grew from there. You met this guy in Mexico. He was, he was a Mexican who was doing this? No, he was actually um, from Israel, I believe. Yeah. The, the concept of, of slow travel is actually... While it's foreign uh, to us as Americans, it's quite common in the rest of the world. The concept of a gap yeah. year where you finish uh, high school and prior to going to university, you take a year off and you travel and that becomes a significant portion of your education. And that just kind of blew my mind as we were learning this and and really kind of, I think that conversation in particular set us down a path, but again, it really goes back all the way to our first date. And that's what's called slow travel. Yeah, so slow travel is the concept of um, reducing flights and booking longer stays and and going mm. to destinations where you can travel very affordably. For example, I think the average American spends about $2,500 to go to the beach for a week. Well, if you go to Southeast Asia, our family of four can realistically travel to Southeast Asia for almost two months on that amount of money. Um, so it's picking wow. destinations where you can take advantage of geo-arbitrage, where uh, destinations are cheaper just because of the location you're traveling, but then also slowing down that travel to make it uh, stretch out and last longer, which allows you to dive deeper into the culture and learn new things. So you fly there. Are you renting a car when you get there or are you public transportation or, or, or how's the transportation work for you? I mean, it depends. It depends on where we're going. So like in Asia, it's a lot of like you rent a motorbike or you're taking taxis and things like that because the traffic is pretty chaotic. Um, but in Europe, we usually will rent a car and, and road trip kind of a thing. This is this is great. This is great. I, I, when I was really challenged was about, oh, it was probably 10 years ago. It was right, it was sometime after I really started getting seriously into motorcycling, becoming an adventure rider, which for me, adventure riding is you're camping. Um, whether off-road, on-road, you're camping and, and you don't have any plans. You're just going and then I'm done. I need to sleep and you stop and you camp. And I went to a... Uh, a motorcycle yeah, a conference called Ride the World down in the Smokies. And there was about, I don't know, I don't know, about 200 riders there from all over the world who just kind of gathered up. And I found myself in this place with people who had written entirely different narratives for life, like people who looked like me, but had chosen to get a sidecar for their wife and ride wherever for six months, eight months, nine months, money runs out. And then they get a job for three months to pay for more gas and more food. And then they go ride again. And then, and I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, like, wait a minute, you're choosing a different narrative for your life. And I was really challenged by what narratives am I choosing for my life? 
that I don't have to go along with. There's Who says that this isn't a way you can live your life? Now, for me, as I wrestled through that, I thought, no, I'm actually right where God wants me right now. I'm actually very good with my pace of life where I am. But it was a it was a long season for me to really ask some soul-searching questions of, do I really want this path that I'm on? And I can get off this path. I really can. You're proving this to us. We could all do something that's different. It's just we're not aggressive enough to do it. I think that's— you agree, disagree? I absolutely agree. I think it comes down to uh, reverse engineering the life that you want and and really sitting back and taking the time to be uh, self-aware and and think through those deep thoughts of how you want to shape your life. And for everyone, that's going to look completely different. But then not being afraid to take the initiative— and to figure out how to make it work for us, we wanted to um, to have a life full of travel. Well, that's a daunting thing to figure out financially. It's a daunting thing to figure out how to do that with two kids as young as four and six. And for us, it just take it took a lot of work of reverse engineering what we wanted ultimately out of life, and then figuring out how to get there. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that. What is aggressive for each person is going to be different. And, Very true. And for us, travel is really important. And we feel called to explore the world and to see the beauty that God's created in people and places all over the world. But for other people, that can look completely different. So I don't know. I just think it's important to note that we're not saying everyone should quit their jobs and do something crazy like we've done. Everyone should find that for themselves. What does that look like in your life? That's a good call. And you discovered this on your first date? Yeah, I would say it goes back that far. We very quickly started talking about our love for travel and <laughs> we don't we don't mess around. We get right to it. <laughs> Let me just say first though, I had never been anywhere when we were on our first date, I'd been to Canada. Like that was, that was the only place I'd ever been outside of the United States. So I had always dreamed of traveling, but I didn't think that it was actually possible. I didn't think people actually did it until I met Brady. And then we, we started actually Brady, traveling. Brady. Brady. Oh, Bradley. <laughs> yeah, okay, Bradley, sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we started actually traveling and going say, places. You're, you're, you're with two men now? This is what you've learned in your travels? It's like get multiple men? It's a very, very aggressive life for living. <laughs> it's all about me. As long as I'm having fun, then it's a good podcast. <laughs> uh, where were we? Uh, what, what were we talking about? I can't remember. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> all right. Well, let me, let me, I mean, how about this? I wonder this. You're traveling all over the world. Do you find that having an American passport and being an American is a detriment I to the way you're treated and everything? I would say the passport, no, because it's a very strong passport. You can get into countries very easily. But socially, um, it depends on where you are and the baggage, I guess, that people have. I think we meet it both ways. We see people who love us because we're Americans and they just want to know why are we here and, and, and love that. And then I think there is always going to be, just because there's bias, everyone has bias, whether it's, you know, conscious or unconscious about different people that live in different places around the world. So I think we do experience that on both sides. I, I just had heard that whenever somebody could, they used a Canadian passport because they've got less judgment in other countries, but that's not that's not what you're experiencing. 
we haven't experienced that now. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's cool. So you decide from your first date, you discover both of you have this desire. And then what? What happens? How, how much later do you get married? When do you start kicking your plan into gear? Take us back. I think uh, initially we kind of really lost track of that dream and that goal. And we went down very traditional paths pursuing um, uh, careers and starting a business. More of like and the tr- traditional the, American dream, correct. I would say. We, we got kind of blinded by the traditional American dream. And it wasn't until we started traveling a little bit and meeting that young kid in Mexico and and reading books and studying it that it slowly kind of evolved. We would take um, a two-week trip and then realize that next time we wanted to do a three-week trip. And I think the the moment that really changed was when we took 10 weeks to go to Southeast Asia. Seven weeks. So we, we, we mm-hmm. took seven weeks off of work. And took our kids who were, how old were they at that point? I think three and five, I think. Three and five. And we traveled Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, the Philippines uh, for seven weeks. And when we came back, we were different people. Uh, and, And it was really from that moment on that we were like, how do we figure out how to do this? And of course, we were documenting our travels and those videos meant so much to us from a memory standpoint and being able to look back. And, uh, we, we did at that point start our channel and it was both the accountability to go out and do something interesting and create a memory, but then also the accountability of, of capturing and doing the work to make those videos so we could look back on those memories. But then we had people starting to reach out to us and tell us how much it meant to to watch our videos. And that really started motivating us to to continue down this path and see if we could make it work. What, what, what were your day jobs? Um, so we did um, wedding videos for quite a while. We, uh, we both shot and edited those. And then we did a bunch of uh, marketing videos for various companies. And so from the video side, we kind of already knew how to make the videos. That was, that was an easy, an easy step. But before you start traveling, you were, you were your own boss in terms of doing videos or did you work for corporate America or some other business? Um, so for the majority of our marriage, Brady owned his own business and we did video production work through that. Um, but right before we sold everything and traveled, we actually took traditional jobs working in the media department at a church. Um, and uh. and so that kind of led us into kind of going to an extreme. I feel like we settled down into a more traditional role and that pushed us to realize, no, we do not want to do the nine to five. We, we want to pursue something much different. So we, we both had very comfortable jobs um, at that church and then had to face the decision of walking in and putting in our notice and and saying we're actually going to go and do YouTube full time and travel the world. So I'm trying to put the I'm trying to put the times together here cuz uh Bradley you were on, you know I on a video shoot in Israel however long ago what that was what was that yeah. 7 years we hired you as a we hired you as a um uh production assistant private just to kind of contractor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, right. that was quite a and while so ago. So you at, that was a while ago. We're going back to, well, I'm doing another filming trip there um, in May. Brilliant. Nice. We're doing some different stuff. It's going to be interesting. 
But so you went from that. You were you had your own business. You were a freelancer at that, mm -hmm. if, if I if I recall correctly. Then you went and you worked at another church. Correct. Right from there. Yeah, well, it was really when the pandemic hit, everything kind of shut down and we had no more income. So we had the opportunity to take this job at a church. And so I think it was August 2020 that we took the jobs at the church. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. we took the job and it was almost out of curiosity of our first uh, nine to five to see if that would work for us. And I think we were there for maybe six or seven months. I think until April. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so this is recent for you. I, I I was thinking you were into this for years. So this is pretty recent doing the travel and the and the YouTube channel and all that stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, so we started the channel uh, 2019, I think, and then we kind of um, did that part time whilst doing other things, and then we pursued it full time a little less than two years ago. Yeah, I think April 2021 is when we sold everything, and then set out full time. So is this your is this your gig for the rest of your life then, or at least for the foreseeable future, or is this just an interesting interlude? Um, we we love it, and we <laughs> kind of are addicted to it, and and it is. I, I do think that it is the gig for the rest of our life. Yeah, but it's hard to see will, the future for us. I think it will always kind of transform. Like we, for a year and a half, we spent our time traveling full time. Now we're renovating the stone house, so I think we'll always shift and kind of be doing different unique things because I think in different seasons, you need different things, different kind of challenges and different kind of ways that are stretching you. And sometimes, you know, that's, that doesn't always look the same. So I think we'll always be doing something kind of unique and interesting, but I don't know what that will be in the future. Are you making enough money from your YouTube channel to support yourself long-term? We are. YouTube's a, um, a brutal beast. It's not, it's not an industry that I would recommend anyone uh, dive into unless they're doing it for the love of it. Uh, I think we are um, in the midst of our third year, and we only recently were able to take a full-time salary from it. But still, you are able to to do that. That's Correct. that's that's pretty cool. So th so this is then uh, YouTube and all every social media company they keep changing the rules and the algorithms and all that stuff. This mm -hmm. at, at any moment's notice things could change. But right now if things stay the way they are, you could conceivably do this for decades. Correct. Mm -hmm. That is the plan, yeah. It was a, a very long road to get here. I don't <laughs> want to give the impression that it was easy. <laughs> no, I well, it couldn't have been too long of a road. What, it was two, three years to get here, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. but three. it was two, three years of working 30, 40 hours a week, usually at about 50 cents an hour, <laughs> right. um, knowing right. that um, someday it could possibly pay off. Um, it wasn't really the payoff that was motivating us, though. It was uh, the emails and the comments of, of people saying, um, perhaps I, I'm in the hospital and, uh, your videos give me so much hope and joy, or I always was hesitant to visit this country. And now after watching your videos, now I want to go there. I think that Turkey for us was a huge turning point. We spent two months road tripping Turkey and the, the, the reaction of that mm -hmm. was incredible. First, we had family members and friends telling us to make sure we have our will and order prior to going. Um, yes. And, and yes. then once we got there, we realized that it was nothing but the kindest people 
people we've ever interacted with in our life. And we are able to capture those interactions and, and share them with the world. And people wrote in left and right saying, because of your videos, I'm now booking a trip to those cities and I can't wait to experience that culture for myself. And that's really what kept us going despite years and years of work without realistically any pay, um, rather than the potential thought of someday having a payoff. Yeah. Wow. That's really, that's, that's really fantastic. But, and the idea that you're able to do this for yourself at 50 cents an hour in the beginning. For me, that's not the impressive thing. For me, the impressive thing was the emotional toll it had to be taking on you of, are, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Is this going to pay off? Or is this just some brief interlude? That's, man, so many people just cannot follow through with their dream in that in-between borderland. I mean, the dream phase is fun. The I'm living the dream phase is fun, like it's working. But that interlude, that no man's land, that borderland, that is very frequently a very long and arduous and difficult thing. And that's, that's why our dreams don't happen, because we get blown up by a landmine in the midst of there. Agree with that? Disagree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we, it's, it's easy being on this side of things, but there definitely were many moments. And we're barely on the side of things, I would say. I mean, yeah. we're, we've just like within the last few months been able to make enough to support ourselves. So this is very new. This is, it's not something that we even are really counting on forever, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I, if I was talking with you guys 10 years ago, I would be listening to this thinking, oh, how do I do my iteration of that? How do I figure out how to ride the world in a motorcycle? Uh, this is challenging. That's probably where I've been, would have been way back when, because I was just frustrated, overworked, just a bunch of stuff. Now, when I'm listening to this, I'm personally, I'm not thinking, oh, I've got to have some travel thing. That's my next level. We might have people who are thinking that like, Oh, I want to do that. And that's great. That's awesome. You're getting this out of the podcast. But for me, what I'm getting out of this is what are, what are the current dreams that I have right now that really are not travel oriented? What, they're based actually based on my day job. Cause that's my calling. I love what I'm doing. What are those, what are those dreams and how am I going to endure through the borderland? And you mentioned something earlier. Let's unpack. You said you sold everything. This again, you're, you're, you're funding your dream. And it's like Cortez, when he comes to the new world, he burns the ships. Yeah. So there's no going back. So all the soldiers, yeah. they can't have a coup to tell him, no, we're not going to fight the Aztecs. No, we're not mm -hmm. going to, no, no, let's go back. Let's go back. He burns the ships. So they've got to go forward. You selling everything wasn't just giving yourselves cash to start the dream. It was also, we can't go back. Tell us more about that. What did you sell? How did you sell it? What was the tough or the difficult things to sell? Did your parents really think you had gone off your yeah. cuckoo clock yeah. nest? You know? <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> I love the burn the ships analogy and that it's it's perfect for what we went through because it wasn't just getting rid of our physical things. That Getting rid of the physical things, that was easy, but it was a burn that the ships. That was not easy. Let me just say that was not easy. <laughs> it, was, it was easier in compared to kind of the burn the ships moment with 
financial opportunities there. We, we turned our back on our clients. We turned our back on our jobs. We, we knew that when we walked away, there was no coming back. Uh, so we had to make it work. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's, it was incredibly difficult, um, especially with kids, to decide that that was the path we were going to take. But we knew that it would be worth it. So, I mean, so many times I would just sit on the floor and cry as we're getting rid of all of these things that are things. And I know that I don't need them. They're just things, but they also hold a, a, they're a representative of the life that we used to have. And now we're moving into a different way of living. And, and even now, as we're setting up our home here in Italy, it's still not the same it's still completely different. And so I'm just now, as we are settling into this life here, it's a bit slower than traveling full time that I'm being able to process the fact that really everything is gone. <laughs> and, and all right. of the things that we had, we got for our wedding and all of these things. It's like, I'm understanding now these things are what we let go of, but the only way we could have moved forward is actually by letting go of those things. And so even though it was incredibly difficult, it was worth it and I would do it again. It's really interesting how there are things that we can do today in our current climate that previous generations of Americans couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Like, well, like, okay, you sold your stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you would have done that before eBay and Facebook. Mm -hmm. You have the penny saver. You're, it's gonna be hard to find a buyer. But now with everything else, you, you can find buyers for your stuff that funds your dream. That's, that's pretty cool. It's very cool. Let alone to realize how easy it is to travel now and, yeah. and how there are so many things to take advantage of, such as like travel hacking right. to where mm -hmm. we can book round trip flights internationally for $10. Like it's, it's, there's so many fascinating things that just in the recent decade have become possible to make something like this possible, which is why I think you see more and more people jumping ship and doing it. Yeah, we're going to get into travel hacking in a little bit. I want to have a whole little section of our conversation to it. But but even just the idea of travel, when I was growing up in the 70s, when I was a grade schooler, my parents, I mean, everybody, there, there, was, there wasn't people who thought of having a different script for their life. There wasn't people who thought about doing anything other than going to Canada. There wasn't, but, you know, the internet and everything else has been able to expand our horizons and have our dreams. Would you tell me when you sold all your stuff, what what kind of slug of cash did you have to start out with? Yeah, so I think we sold um, two cars and literally everything down to clothes. Um, a lot of things we ended up giving away because they're not worth selling. Um, but I think we ended up raising, I want to say $40,000 for that. And we lived off of that um, for nearly a year. We, d we did, um, uh, we were able to get a little bit of work during our travels um, via me flying back to the USA and leaving them in mm. Indonesia. And I would do a 48 hour flight to get back to the US just to work for a, a couple of days and then fly back just to help kind of fund us for the next leg. Um, but there were not many of those trips. It was mostly off of that initial round that we sold through all of our possessions. So when do you start to sweat when the $40,000 starts going down? Do you start sweating when you got 20000 left, 10000 left? Um, 
I think that there was definitely sweating throughout the entire process. I think that the first month or two when we hit the road um, and set out, uh, we actually started by living out of our self-converted van. We had purchased during COVID a 2011 Mercedes Sprinter with 100,000 miles, and we kind of self-converted it into a little living space. And we spent the first two months or so living out of that. And I think that the entire time I personally was in this complete daze of what have we done? <laughs> like, yes, we were. Both of us um, were. <laughs> and it's like we had these, we had what most people would call a dream job yeah. and we turned her back to live in a van down by the river. And <laughs> yes, literally. And it took a while to process that and it took a long time to get comfortable with the fact that we were going to live a life of discomfort with no security for quite a while. Um, and then we ended up living out of that van uh, through COVID until borders opened. And then that's when we kind of stepped into international travel. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1 has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. <laughs> to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. The house, you're at the base of the Alps. You have no electric and plumbing, I understand. How do you how do you find something like that? And then how much you pay for something like that? Yeah. So, um, in our travels, we were, um, coming through the Northern region of Italy. And, and on top of that, and on top of that, hold on. did you have in your mind, I assume you didn't never had a go like, okay, someday we're going to get to Switzerland and we're looking for a stone cottage at the base of the Alps. I assume an opportunity <laughs> just popped up for you and you went, hey, yeah. So hey, what do you think? <laughs> right? Wrong? What do you think? I think throughout our travels, um, some countries we went to because we wanted to culturally experience them. And some countries we went to because we wanted to vet them as possibly a new home base. And those countries um, were strategic based on the airports and the connection to the world. They were also strategic based on the culture and our connection to that. Uh, and then we we looked at, um, initially, I think we were thinking Indonesia. We wanted to live in Indonesia, and we trialed that, and that didn't work. And then we had looked into Costa Rica for a while, and that didn't also quite, quite fit perfectly well. And 
ultimately we were in northern Italy and started looking at these old stone cabins that were built hundreds of years ago. And we kind of fell in love with one that was uh, 200 years old, sat, sat at the base of the mountain with uh, snow-capped mountains off in the distance. And it was a terraced land with hand-stacked or hand-hewn stone and then stacked into terraces. We have about half a mile of of stone walls that date back to seven or 800 years old, presumably built by the Venetians. And we just completely fell in love with this house and wanted to uh, take yet another risk. And, and it was for us even more of a burn the ships moment than the initial uh, leaving the USA um, because we're now tying ourselves to a country where legally we're not even allowed to work with our visa. So we have to make our videos work. Um, and we are now investing everything into the house. So it, it was the scariest burn the ships moment, I think, for us. And it's a long road ahead um, to get it um, to be fully livable, but it's it's going to it's going to be worth it in the end, I think. And why did you think that this was the right part of the world to make as your home base? Well, so I would say the location. So it's central of Europe, so we can travel all throughout Europe really affordably. So that was a big pull for us. Yeah, um, I don't think many people realize that. Like once you're in Europe, um, the initial cost from the USA is expensive or can be. Um, but once you're here, you can we can buy flights for, for 10, 20 bucks, 10, yeah. 20 bucks to almost anywhere in Europe. And we can and even get, throughout, I mean, even into the Middle East and Asia, you can get a lot, um, a lot of cheap flights from from this area. Correct. So, so when you fly around, you're staying in hotels, hostels, where, where are you staying? Cause you're not, you know, overlanding, which is what I'd love to do. You don't, you don't have your own. Yeah. Your well, we might come up in, in we can talk about we overlanding. We've got some big plans there. <laughs> oh, um, do you? Oh, All for right. sure. And actually talk my love language. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I think, um, there's such a huge parallel between overlanding and bicycle trips and the type of travel we do. And I, I think that I, you tell me if, if I'm wrong, but your draw to uh, overlanding and, and motorcycle trips is partially the discomfort and what you learn, as well as the places and things you get to see and experience. And there's, a, a, to me, a strong parallel between that and the type of travel we do. And we had, well, you wouldn't call it overlanding because we lived out of a, a van. It was more van life. Um, we do have this uh, dream of someday converting a, a vintage Land Rover Defender. I have a plan. It sounds crazy to sleep uh, four people in a Land Rover Defender and, and being able to overland Africa or go up into Iceland or the Faroe Islands. Or I, I just think it'd be incredible. Yeah, that would be incredible. Except the Defender's your wrong vehicle for that, but <laughs> well, that's a separate thing. I've got experience okay. with the Defenders. They're, they're, they're cool-ass looking, cool looking vehicles in the real world, unless, unless think, you want to be breaking down every four days no, and figuring that out. I think know. everyone would agree. There's a vehicle that gets you where you need to go, such as a power wagon, and then there's the Land Rover Defender <laughs> on a whole nother level. But it doesn't get you where you go. You know Because <laughs> I've traveled with one. It doesn't get yeah. you where you want to go. They break. But here, here's the thing, though, is that like what, what you're just mentioning here, it's like I say to everybody, when it comes to best motorcycle, best four-wheel drive vehicle, you can make a case for any of them. At the end of the day, it's which one gives you an emotional charge because yeah. yeah. you'll make it work. Yeah. So the Defender gives you an emotional charge. That's great. 
That's awesome. I, I like I like overlanding because in motorcycle riding, I like the discomfort. Um, I like the discomfort, but the discom- discomfort is what nature throws at me. I'm stuck in a mud puddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't get over a rock. The kind of discomfort you guys are dealing with or discomfort of I got to set up in the rain. This kind of discomfort I think that you would experience right now of travel is lines and congestions and check. At least that's what I imagine. That kind of discomfort is legit. But that kind of discomfort would just drive me crazy. I would say, I mean, there is that, of course, in traveling. You're in an airport and you're waiting and it's it's that. But that's not necessarily the challenges that I would be like, yes, you need to go on travel so you experience these challenges. I would say, like, for me, one of probably one of the most memorable trips that we've taken was to Morocco. And for me to be in a country where I'm walking down the street and all I'm seeing is men everywhere sitting in the cafes and I'm the only woman and I stick out like a sore thumb for me. White woman. Yeah, exactly. So for me, when I, in my life in the suburbs in the U S like I'm, I look like everybody else and I can just go about my business. But for me in that moment, I got to experience what it feels like to be a minority and I got to experience what it feels like for people to be staring at you because of how you look, which I never have experienced that in my life otherwise. Mm. So those are the hard moments where it's very uncomfortable in my own body to be in a situation that I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to respond. I don't know if I'm going to offend someone. I don't know what's going to happen in an interaction. Those kind of things, to me, that's, that's the struggle. It's also, you know living life in a different way, like traveling around Turkey with kids. When you go to stop at the bathroom, like it's not as toilet you can sit on. (laughs) You have to like hold your kids over a hole so they can go to the bathroom. I mean, there's a lot of things like that, that, that are, are challenging in outside of just like, we don't like to go to tourist destinations. So I would say like, the lines of waiting to go up to the Eiffel Tower. That's not what we're doing. Um, That's a good call. Yeah. That's a really good call. You just kind of gave me a a wake-up slap here because when I do travel, I travel nice. Mm -hmm. You know, I stay at nice hotels. I... Yeah, I travel. That's not what you guys are... And and I'm a a male. A male who's somewhat sizable and puts off kind of a vibe where I, I feel safe. I'm not traveling the way you guys are, and let alone we just mentioned, traveling as a woman in an area where women are very, very, very clearly second-class citizens, as they are all over the world, except in parts of Europe and, and America. That's, I think that for the average person listening to you talk about overlanding, it's kind of hard for them to understand, understand that. They might say, well, I'm, I'm more comfortable at home, or if I'm going to go out, I want a huge RV. They don't understand the draw of overlanding, and it's very similar with us and the type of travel that we do. They don't understand the draw to uh, sleeping in a, a treehouse in Costa Rica with monkeys jumping in and out of your <laughs> treehouse. Like, they don't understand certain discomforts like that. Like, why would you do that? And just like with overlanding, once you why try it- Why would you it, do that? Exactly. People say, why would you sleep in a treehouse with monkeys? 
Who would say that's amazing? <laughs> I can tell you right now, nobody who's listening to Aggressive Life would ask that. Everyone listening to Aggressive Life is going, where can I do that? That's amazing. Awesome. Did they fling yeah. poo? Did they did they handfuls of poo and throw it out throw it at you? No, but once the once the sun sets and all you hear is the howler monkeys aggressively yelling at you, it, it can be Ooh. hard to go to sleep. It was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> Bummer. Well, I was wondering, like, Costa Rica, you said that didn't work out for you. Why not? I've only heard great things about Costa Rica. Oh, it's or is it wonderful. Just because you're on, the yeah. only reason that it wasn't right for us, it is amazing. Highly recommend it. It is just a little hard to travel from Costa Rica. It's not very well connected to the rest of the world. That's the only uh, okay. reason. And it's so hot. It'll be a great place to <laughs> relocate, not a great place to relocate with your vision Correct. of yes. travel. Yes, exactly. it's actually one of the top expat destinations for Americans. So it is a very lovely place to relocate. Is there some point when this gets old? And I don't mean old like travel gets old, but y- it's not your first time to Morocco anymore. It's not your first time to hear what, at, at some point, you end up seeing the entire world. And then at that point, are you done? Or is it, no, we just rinse and repeat? Oh, I don't know. The world's a very big place. And, and honestly, the places that we have been to, it's they're often the places that I just long to go back. Like right now, I'm, I'm desperate to get back to Turkey. Like that, if I could only pick one country in the world to travel the rest of my life, it would be Turkey. And I just desperately want to get back there. Why is that? I've been to Turkey, but I'm I'm I've been to places of Turkey that you haven't been. Where, I've been to where have t- you kind been? of civilized places. <laughs> oh gosh. Where I've have you been, been to uh well I think of it in terms of biblical mm-hmm. places. We, yeah. Which aren't even what it what it's called today. So I went where the uh, Temple of Artemis was. Sure. Yeah. Which was one of the seven wonders of the world. I can't remember what, what city that was in that was. I, uh, it was a whirlwind of Turkey and Greece and I don't know, so I can't remember. We did a little bit. They were they were pretty well known touristy places, you know. Right. Yeah, we did a little bit of kind of retracing Paul's uh, footsteps in the southeastern region. That was kind of cool. And and tragically, a lot of the cities that we spent the most time in are the ones that have been devastated by the uh, um, the earthquake recently. But um, the flip side of that is that we have all of these videos, and now we're having this huge influx of people saying like, "We're so thankful for your videos because we can see." Um, Karaman Marash before it was destroyed. Like, and, and that's, that's a pretty cool thing. That is cool. All right. Let's talk about travel hacks. You mentioned before, I've kept the cliffhanger for people who heard that <laughs> earlier on. Just give us your travel hacks, starting with $10 flights. Yeah. What? what are you talking about? So travel hack is a 12 hour conversation, but the, the world of travel hacks, especially if, as an American, we're, we're, we have access to certain things that the rest of the world does not have access to. So the last time we flew to Italy, we flew from Cincinnati, Ohio to Milan. And I, I think we paid $5 each. Come on. True story. And you lie like a rug. <laughs> <laughs> I, wow. I have, what did you do? I have the receipts. Um, so that was, um, it, there's many different ways of credit card hacking um, or travel hacking. That was, we opened up a specific credit card. We used it um, to, to put $3,000 of expenses over three months. And then they, they essentially gift you all of these points that you can then convert into flights. So we converted them into flights. You have to pay $5 of fees, essentially, in this particular case. And then we were, as a family of four, able to fly for under 20 bucks back to Italy. 
Wow. But there's many Sweet. other different forms of, of travel hacking. Um, geo arbitrage is probably the best. We In the Philippines, we uh, rented a private boat and did um, island hopping for an entire day, which included a, a, a chef, essentially, to cook us lunch. And we paid $30. Man. And that's just, just because of geo arbitrage. I don't even know what geo arbitrage is. T- essentially taking advantage of uh, more afford- affordable locations. Um, so your dollar stretches so far depending on where you're going. So in Mardin, Southeast Turkey, which is on uh, on the border of Syria, we rented essentially a castle for $120 a night, which normally is a splurge for us. At that time, we kind of averaged, I would say, $40 a night for accommodation. But because we're kind of in the middle of nowhere in one of my favorite cities mm-hmm. in the world, just beautiful, we essentially had an entire castle to ourselves for the cost of a holiday inn back in Ohio. An entire castle. Yeah. That's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> a slight exaggeration, <laughs> but it's, it was a pretty extreme uh, ancient uh, mansion that I think was about 500 years old. And it kind of overlooked uh, the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian Valley, which was a beautiful thing. So if someone wants to find these travel hacks, I mean, is there some some website you have or are these just all over your YouTube channel? We don't talk about it that much on YouTube. Um, we, we did just launch a, a course on how to do it on our website, um, but it's information that you can find everywhere on the internet. It takes a lot of time to kind of invest and learn how to do it. Um, but it's definitely worthwhile, especially if you're American, like it's, it's very targeted to Americans for some strange reason. Well, go ahead and advertise your course. Where, where would they find that? Sure. So, uh, raisingvoyagers.com, which is the same uh, name as our YouTube channel, Raising Voyagers. There is a travel hacking course that we kind of take you through step-by-step everything that, um, we've done for the last couple of years, uh, which has allowed us to travel full time, uh, very comfortably in our opinion for much less than it used to cost us just to live in Ohio. Well, that reminds me of the next thing I want to hit and that is raising Voyager's kids. Has nobody told you that this is not safe for children? (laughs) Come on, come on. It sounds like you're doing what you want to do at the expense of the safety of your children. Mm -hmm. Don't you know everything's supposed to be about the kids at all time? Don't you understand what a child-centered home means? You have to put your kid at the center and everything in your life revolve around the kids because the kids are everything. Why, why, how did you not get this memo? So strangely, it has been a, a kid-centered <laughs> household, I think. No, but... We, uh, we, we sat them down, yeah. right? It was a family beginning. decision We sat them sell down everything and we travel. asked them, what would you want to do? We have this opportunity and we, we decided separately, if they're not on board, then we're not doing this. And they decided immediately, we want to travel. Like we understand we have to leave our friends behind, but we want to travel. And then I spent the next two weeks trying to convince them not to. Like, remember that play date you just had? You wouldn't have that anymore. Like, yeah. I think that like Brady has a unique story because when he was a kid, his parents decided to become missionaries in Ukraine. And so he has a very similar experience to what we were getting ready to put our girls through. So he did not want to blindside them. He wanted to have a conversation about it with them to make sure we're all on the same page. Now, they don't understand how hard it's actually going to be in the same way that we understand. But 
you know, it was very important for us to include them in the decision. And even when we decided to settle down, we traveled full time for a year and a half. And it wasn't until we all decided, yes, we need a home base. We need to have some place to kind of come back to that, that we decided to do that together as a family. That's good. Well, I also think that we just, we coddle kids too much. Kids rise to the level of our expectations for them. And I, I think that we have too low of expectations for our kids. We, we expect them to dis- be disobedient. We expect them to be rebellious. We expect them to be weak. We expect them to not be able to endure. We expect them to not toe the line. We expect them. Well, if you expect all that, then you're going to get all that. So uh, my assumption would be kids who are properly led would actually be the easiest people to travel with. It's the listeners on the aggressive life, probably the worst people to travel with. <laughs> it's, it's the kids who you learn to, to bring in line. Yes, no? Yeah, I would say our kids are much better travelers than we are even. I mean, they are much more flexible than we are. The The changes don't affect them as much as they affect us. Wow, you know, they, they, they don't really remember what it's like to just be in one place and and Heather always says kids are going to be kids no matter where you are if they're if you're home they're going to be kids if you're traveling they're going to be kids meaning it's hard to raise kids no matter what is what you're saying regardless of where you are (laughs) it's still hard they're still going to act out they're still going to have difficulties that you have to work through and being on the road doesn't really change that it doesn't make it any better or any worse for us Well, plus, you said they're more flexible. They're also more physically flexible. They could sleep anywhere. Oh, yeah. Those long plane rides, it doesn't phase them. I think when they were three and five, we did 50 hours of nonstop travel. Yeah, we did. (laughs) It was five five flights back to back, 50 hours nonstop, and they were champs. They were just fine, yeah. Bradley and Heather Feather, are you ready for the lightning round? This is when I give you a a topic and you have to answer it like a bolt of lightning. Can you do it? I am legitimately nervous. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've traveled all over the world, but I'm nervous about this now. I'm, I'm really nervous about it. Okay, here we go. Greatest travel experience for your family so far? Uh, they, these are going to be hard. Mm-hmm. I would say um, probably the the treehouse in Costa Rica or um, a hot air balloon ride over Cappadocia, Turkey. One of those two. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me just say for most of our listeners right now, you suck. You, you, you seriously suck. You can't. You can't be giving us answers that makes us wish we were you. You know. Oh. Tell us th- something that's painful. That, that that's awesome. Yeah. Anybody would like those too. We can All talk right. about the painful. I can stuff. tell you stories. Too. Lots of painful yeah. stories. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Uh, the worst experience of travel for your family so far. I have a memory. I'll share this. So, I remember when Chloe, our littlest, that's now seven, was probably a year and a half, and we did an overnight flight to Paris from Cincinnati and she screamed and cried the whole flight because there was a guy sitting next to me that wouldn't turn his reading light off and it was shining in her eyes. And so I just stood on the plane and just patted her to try to get her to stop and everybody's staring at me because on this overnight flight, this baby is just screaming. It was awful. I slept just fine. Yeah, I'm sure you did. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next question. The place you would tell all 
of your listeners right now to go to that we've never considered going to? Turkey. Turkey. It, it has to be Turkey. And and not, I mean, Istanbul is beautiful. It's great, but it's also too touristy. I mean, if you're um, not willing to face too extreme of discomfort, go to Cappadocia. It's the most incredible place in the world. If you are willing to face a little bit of a discomfort, go to Mardin, Turkey. But it's always Turkey for us. Yep. Fascinating. Biggest hurdle you've had to clear to start your travel journey? These are not fast questions to answer. <laughs> well, they're not fast because you're not playing by the rules. I, I asked you up for the challenge. You're obviously not up for the challenge because oh, you, nope. you suck at this. Okay, so you, I could write a journal entry about this. <laughs> I, I have an answer. We we yes. foolish we foolishly started our travel journey full time in the midst of COVID, and crossing borders was difficult. Uh, figuring out the paperwork and figuring out which countries you can and cannot get through was very much a challenge. Key to a, the key to making engaging YouTube content. I, it has to be just being yourself. Making YouTube content is the most exhausting thing I've ever experienced. And if you're not simply strictly yourself, you'll never survive. Yeah, you have to be inspired or it doesn't work. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll suspend the lightning round for a minute. I'll just add to that. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I really tried to make some YouTube things happen with, oh, motorcycle stuff, overlanding stuff, a garage Bible study I've done. We're going we're gonna to do another garage Bible study here pretty soon. But it is. It's tough. It's And, and that's, that's when I've got staff members who are helping me. It's... Yeah. It's a, um, it sounds yeah. really good. Oh man, right? It channel, sounds really you're, good. And you're both the camera person, the producer, the editor, the location scout, the PR person. You're dealing with emails all day long, dealing with comments, both good and bad. It, it's it's exhausting. I think people often. I think I saw a stat that 50 percent of Amer Americans under the age of 20 want to be a YouTuber, and I always caution people: it is very hard. Well, and you're. You're the creative director. You you got to get fired up yep. for what you're doing and be looking forward and saying, I'm going to do this and I'm excited about doing this. And you got to be excited every single time and it's got to be different every single time. Yep, it's hard. <laughs> All right, uh, let's do um, one more. Biggest lesson you've learned about parenting. It's hard. <laughs> I think kids are far more capable than we give them credit for. True. Good word. Heather and Brody, is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't uh, asked you to talk about? Brody, Brady, Bradley, whatever, man. Uh, yeah, come on. You can't even get the nickname right anymore. I mean, I mean what's up? No. Well, I can't keep track of all the men you have in your life, Heather. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I was like, is there some question I should have asked? I, well, I was that all, I didn't ask. I was expecting the the typical. What's your most aggressive mistake? <laughs> okay, what's your most aggressive mistake you made? Um, can I talk about getting in trouble with the Cuban military? <laughs> or, um, or yes. <laughs> Uh, probably having to shift some papers around. I don't think you should share this kind of information. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
crossing borders is hard sometimes. Right. It is hard. That's, uh, I've had a, a goal of riding my bike to the tip of South America. Mm. And, yeah. um, Especially hard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be very difficult. That's why I want to do it. Now it's kind of morphing to, uh, I probably want to overland to the tip of South America. Mm. And the reason I, I haven't like planned that is, well, I got to figure out the time. I could, I can make that work. I mean, but I got to, I got to figure that out. And, uh, but the other two things could, the main thing is border crossings. It's a pain for someone who's only ever just gone into Canada or into Tijuana. Border crossings down there are a pain. I'm just horror stories yeah. of like, oh, sorry, we're not going to take your dog. Get your dog all the way down to the Panama or someplace. Yeah. Sorry, no dogs. Yeah. And Especially got, with like, vehicles and pets and things like that. It can be very complicated. Yes, yeah. yes. And just the complexity of uh, 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 how much, what's your bribe budget going to be? <laughs> you know, yeah. people say, I'm going to pay some handler maximum of $10 a crossing if to come or something. It just sounds very complex. That's the kind of, uh, for me, the kind of difficulty and adventure I'm not up for. I'm not up for emotional complexity. I'm up for physical difficulty, emotional complexity mm. that's uh that's not fun for me. I think you should, I'm going to challenge you. You should find some of that emotional stretching, if you will. This is the aggressive I think, life, Brian. Yeah, you can't just be aggressive it, and only where you're married. comfortable. It's called being married. <laughs> I, have it. I have that already. It's called being married. It's called having 350 staff members. Yeah, that's and it's hard. called having so many people in the job. I, I have plenty of emotional complexity. Plenty. But I appreciate the push. Thank you, Heather Feather. So, all right. Hey, if uh, one thing that I would love, one thing that I would love to get out, just selfishly, because it's so hard to express this in our own content, is the fact that uh, the last thing on our mind is trying to create. I don't know how to say this, trying to create entertaining content. We don't want to have people watching us living vicariously. That's the last thing. What we want to do is to inspire people to take initiative. And that doesn't have to look like selling everything or even traveling at all. We we would love to, like we're most fueled by the stories that people write in when they're inspired to take initiative and to start a business. Or maybe for you, that's uh, getting married or asking someone out or uh, going to church, like whatever it is, like just take initiative. We all have that thing that scares us deep down, but we have that gnawing voice that says, I want to try this, but I'm too scared. And that's the message that we haven't figured out how to say yet, but we would love to inspire people to just go out there and take a risk. That's good. If someone wants to follow up with you, they want to follow your stuff, you, you've mentioned it already. Just go ahead and give us real clear advertising for how to follow up with you and see what's going on. Sure. So we um, release videos on YouTube under the name Raising Voyagers. You technically can find us on Instagram, but we're not very involved. Or you can, We're trying to get better yeah, at Instagram. Or you can uh, catch us on our website, RaisingVoyagers.com. Hey, Brady and Heather, it's been really fun being with you. Thanks for... Thanks for charting a course and letting us in on your journey and, and just for being uh, good sports in the podcast. I, I appreciate it greatly. Hey, here's the deal, folks. You know, I don't, I don't know how many of us are going to go out and travel more. The goal here for today, actually the goal for every aggressive life, is not, not to get you to do more of what the current guest is. 
I'm not interested in getting you to do more, whatever it is, more stand-up comedy, more traveling the world. I'm trying to get you exposed to people who are living aggressively in certain spheres that you may not want to go into, but you can take the tips of how they're stepping out from the norm, how they're stepping out from comfort, how they're stepping out of the standard script. So take something here. You get to write the script of your life. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to be an actor in somebody else's script. You don't have to be a impersonation person who just mimics other people. It's your life. God's blessed you with a life. Figure out what you want from your life. Make a move. Be aggressive about it. And we'll see you out there. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio. 